How are we doing today, church? It is really good to be here at the Skillman Church of Christ. Uh, my name is John Mark Davidson. I am the new family minister here at the uh, Skillman Church. And as I look out and I see the faces, I'm just so comforted because I'm seeing a lot of my new friends out in the audience smiling back at me. Thank you for those smiles, by the way. I see uh, some family that have come here. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I see friends from, from long ago that have come. It's good to see you, and it's, it's good to see people that I don't know yet because I know that once I do know you, it's, it's going to be fun to hear your story and learn more about you and walk with you along the path of, uh, as Christians. So uh, the text today is in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And this is a sermon uh, that's in continuation of the series, I Am Sent. And as you can tell from the title, this section of Scripture tells the story of the conversion of Saul. And of all the conversion stories in all the Bible, this is probably the most famous of all. It's famous because of the impact this conversion has had on the Scriptures. It's famous also because the impact this conversion has had on Christianity as a whole. This guy, Saul, the, uh, the character in the story, Saul, he was a pious Jew during the time shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And a few chapters earlier, in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, this guy Saul was a part of the stoning and the death of a guy named Stephen. He had an agenda against this new Christian movement and was finding as many followers as possible to bring them to justice. And I don't want to spoil the story that's entitled Saul's Conversion. I don't want to spoil it for you, but this guy Saul, he gets converted. He had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life completely. In fact, after this, he changed his name from Saul to Paul. And this is the same Paul who wrote the letters to the Corinthians, who wrote the letters to the Thessalonians, the book of Romans. In fact, this Bible that we have in the New Testament, almost 30% of the New Testament was written by this this guy named Paul. Another reason why this section of Scripture is so important is because it's it's unique. Because many times in Scripture we have a, a story that's told and we have characters, but we have no idea what was going on in the thoughts and the minds of the characters involved. And sometimes we have portions of Scripture where we know the thoughts and feelings, the poems are written like in Psalms or in Song of Songs, but we don't really know the events that were around, were, were around the time that these poems were written. But this section of Scripture is unique. It's special. Because not only do we have a detailed historical narrative in Acts chapter 9, But we also have two recorded personal testimonies in which Paul shares his experience and thoughts and feelings in Acts 22 and 26. Then on top of all that, we have all of the many letters that were written by Paul over the course of a decade, which provide us the opportunity to see the impact of this historical event on Paul and the church over the course of time. So what do you say we get to it? You You guys ready? 
Let's do it. Let's begin Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. And and Debbie, would you mind reading this text for us? That would be on the screen as well. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Let's just say, Paul, he wasn't the biggest Jesus fan. <laughs> that might be the understatement of the, of the year. Saul was so confident that he was protecting the truth of Scripture that he dedicated himself to the punishment and even execution of anyone following Jesus at that time known as the way. He was willing to travel all the way to Damascus. That was a 10-day journey, over 150 miles to carry out his plan. And while he was on that way, he had these papers in his pocket, authority from the high priest to search the synagogues and arrest any man or woman and take them back to Jerusalem for punishment and likely stoning. But as he was approaching Damascus, On this mission, a light from heaven came down, and later in Acts 26, Paul recalls that this light was even more brilliant than the sun. So, Josue, let's pick it up from here in verse 4 and read through chapter 9, verse 9. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. Story goes, God sends this reluctant follower of Jesus named Ananias to go visit Saul with healing. And it's interesting, if you read the text, the first thing that Ananias says to to Saul was brother, brother Saul. And it was with Ananias that where he received physical healing, the return of his eyesight, but also the spiritual healing, the baptism in the name of Jesus, the washer of sins. And it says in verse 18 that after meeting with Ananias, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And as many of you know here today, God would use Saul's dedication and tireless drive to spread the good news of Jesus even to the Gentile people. Saul who later became known as Paul, helped the church become not just a Jewish sect, but rather a revolutionary, life-changing force that has impacted every culture in all the world. So what can we learn from this story? What lessons can we draw from the text? Why is this story so important? And as we are part of this series called I Am Sent, what are the implications that this narrative brings us today. Well, years later, in a personal letter to a young preacher named Timothy, Paul writes why he believes of all the people why God chose him. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 14, it says, Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that comes from, from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize, too, that they, too, can believe in him and receive eternal life. I'm going to read that last line one more time because it impacted me. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Did you guys catch that? Did you catch what this guy said? Call, Paul calls himself the worst of all sinners. He calls himself the worst of all sinners, but says that God had mercy on him to serve as an example that even the worst of sinners can be saved. Looking back at his conversion years later, Paul is saying he couldn't get over, he couldn't get over the grace and the mercy of God. He said, if God can save me, God can save anyone. Brothers and sisters, no one is too far from God's grace. No one is too far from God's grace. No matter how low, no matter how entangled in sin, no matter the weight of the crime, no matter the shame, no one is too far from God's grace. If God had mercy and patience with Saul, the worst of sinners, then God could do the same with anyone at any time. No one is too far from God's grace. And don't you love it when you see these stories come to fruition? When you hear or, or, or know about stories of when people who were broken, people who were in despair, without hope, have had an encounter with Jesus that changed their life forever? In fact, in my short time here at Skillman, I've heard a story or two that have inspired me and encouraged me. And one such story, I wanted you to hear it as well. Travis and Meredith are, are members here at the church, and they have an incredible story. And last Wednesday, Jared and I tracked them down, and we filmed them right here sharing uh, Travis's story, and it's on video, and I'd like for you all to, to hear this incredible story of an encounter with Jesus. played football forever all my life I grew up playing football um, I played through college through high school to college and um, I was real close to playing in the NFL and real close to having that journey played out in my life there was a moment when um, I played in an all-star game in college it was my senior year and I've already talked to quite a few um, NFL agents and kind of saying they were talking to me saying we'd like to pick you up late in the in the NFL draft and um I had that dream right there from a child uh really close 
And I was running at this uh, collegiate all-star game. I was ru- they want you to run a 40-yard dash and, like, time you. Um, but I was running my second 40-yard dash, and um, I uh, pulled up about three yards into it, and I snapped my left hamstring. That dream disappeared in an instant. Uh, there's nothing that... There's nothing that you can imagine to feel that low. I still, I still struggle with that pain, obviously. Uh, this led to years of addiction and years of uh, shame, shame and guilt. Um, being a person that I didn't want to be, my valley has been real, real low. But let me tell you something that you learn from a low valley is that in the forgiveness and in the um, in the love you receive from Christ when you're in that valley and you surrender and you give it all up, there's nothing that, that can be explained. There's nothing that it's the un- immeasurable amounts of love. Um, when your eyes have been open to that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really grateful to be here, because I feel like people know that they're broken and know that's where the Lord meets them. Um, that's one of the things I appreciate about Travis a lot, is that because this is just where God meets him on a daily basis. I encounter Christ on almost... I'd say like twice a week, three times a week, like we talk about these amazing things that God has done in uh, my life and in Meredith's life. And um, that constant surrender that I've learned from the depths I've been in is just, it's just a encounter in itself. <laughs> like all the things. There's a, there's a covenant that... Um, I asked Meredith to. Uh, um, I asked Meredith to be a part of my life for, for the rest of my life. I asked her to marry me, and um, we got engaged on Christmas Eve. Um, there's one beautiful thing about her, and that that I don't get in the way of Christ, <laughs> and she she um, she constantly has him on the forefront of her heart and mind and uh, I know from my past and my journey that uh, that's where I need to keep him too so it's just it's been uh, an amazing past few months and now that I asked her to marry me so we're gonna plan on that deal yay Travis and Mary, will you guys just stand up real quick? Let's give a round of applause to God real quick, because that's an amazing story right there. Right there. Praise God. We were uh, joking last night at the Saturday service, you know, they're going to get married, and then they're going to start a family, you know, and I, I was just joking about them. I, I hear this church throws amazing baby showers, so. <laughs> they're shaking their heads. Not yet. Too soon. Too soon. Amazing story, right? God is good. God is good, and this is another reminder that no one is too far from God's grace. All it takes 
is an encounter with Jesus. And let me ask you today a, a personal question. You know, do you know someone who's living in that darkness right now? Is there someone that when you kneel to pray, their name just pops into your mind? That your heart just aches for them and you wish that they could just, they could see it. That their life could change. Someone, a father, a mother, a friend, a partner, a son, a daughter who is broken, in despair, trapped in the pain of the consequences of their decisions. And the message today should encourage you about that. Take heart. Because all it takes is an encounter with Jesus. Because no one is too far from God's grace. And as a minister, one of the most common set of questions that I hear time and time again is, how can I get my wife, my husband, my kid, my boyfriend, how can I get them to fill in the blank? How can I get them to come to church? How can I get them to read their Bible, to pray, to believe? How can I get them? And here is is usually my response to that question. I say... You can't make anybody do anything. That's not your job. Only God can change someone's heart. Surrender that person to the divine. Be set free from that responsibility and that burden. Let it go. Because like in the story of Paul, it wasn't a rational argument that got to him. It was an an experience. It was an encounter with Jesus. And oftentimes we also think that this experience on the road to Damascus was just this one big moment that changed his life forever. But in Acts 26, when Paul is describing in further detail about what happened that day, he gives additional information as to what Jesus said. In Acts 26, verse 14, he says, We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice to me saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. That's a pretty clear you don't really hear that much in, the, in 2017, that sentence. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. I had to look it up myself. So let's unpack that a little bit. Goads were spikes or spiked sticks that were used to drive cattle and oxen. Farmers would use it when animals were stubborn and needed to revert back to the path. Little by little, over time, the animal would learn and would walk the way the farmer wanted. You know, this gives the analogy that God has been poking and prodding at Paul for some time. You know, maybe God had been working in Paul's life long before that trip to Damascus. Maybe God is at work right now in that person's life. Also, Could it be said that in the same way God is at work right now in our own lives, gently prodding us, poking us, and reminding us along the journey? 
Take heart, church, today, because no one is too far from God's grace. But let's go back to this one detail. As I've been preparing this sermon, there's one detail that really, really stuck with me this entire week. Saul, he calls himself the worst of all sinners. But if we really look at Saul's life and who he was, he didn't he doesn't look like what we typically think of when we think of sinner. I mean, I'll give it to you. He was, he was killing people. That's not a good thing. <laughs> it's never good to kill people. But you have to understand that in that day and age, that was a just punishment for blasphemy. In fact, it's so just that he was given permission from the high priest to go do it again in Damascus. He was a part of the stoning of uh, the, the death of Stephen just a couple of chapters earlier. Saul wasn't a bandit. He wasn't a criminal. He wasn't a rebel. In fact, Saul was an insider. In the eyes of Saul, in the eyes of society, Saul was a part of the religious establishment. He had the right family heritage. He was a pure Jew with Roman citizenship. He had the right education. He studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law. He had the right intentions. Growing up a Jew, this new movement was trying to change things, shake things up, and he was just trying to protect God's law. Saul was probably voted the most religious in his high school class, most likely to become rabbi. So why does Paul consider himself the worst of sinners? What was Saul saved from? You see, Saul wasn't saved from a place of brokenness. He wasn't saved from this place of humility. He wasn't a criminal, a thug, an outsider. Saul was saved from pride and from arrogance. In the eyes of the people, Saul would have been the best of the best followers of God, but in Saul's own words, he was the worst of all sinners. So what does that mean? What about us? What can we draw from that point? What about all of us here in the church? You know, many of us, like a lot of us, like Paul, have grown up in the church and have been a part of this religious community our entire lives. I mean, take me for example. I think my first Sunday at church, I was less than a week old. I think I was born on a Monday and was at church that Wednesday night. And the lesson that day was just killer, by the way. It was a great lesson. Still remember it to this day. We are good people. We come to church every Sunday. We give 10% of our income. We read our Bibles. We pay our taxes. We try and do the right thing. What do we need to be safe from? Is it possible that we also need to be saved from our pride and our arrogance? Could it be that our problem may not necessarily be our actions? 
because we know how to play the game, but rather it's our mentality and our attitude. Is it possible that just like Saul, we need to be saved from our pride and our arrogance? Could it be that we need to be saved from the thinking that coming to church just in and of itself makes us better people? Is it possible that we need to be saved from believing that the busyness and productivity makes us worthy? Is there a chance that we need to be saved from the mentality that because we come to this building and read this book that we are better than other people? Do we fail to recognize that the same God that is at work in us, prodding and poking, is the same God also at work in that other person's life? It hit me hard this week in the gut when I realized that Saul, the worst of sinners, may look more like some of us in here, than many of the people out there. You see, Saul put his trust in himself, his self-righteous actions, his lineage. But Paul, Paul realized it was only through Jesus that we can be rescued from our destructive ways. This guy Saul, he struggled with arrogance and with pride. But Paul... He became the champion of grace in the New Testament church. This is good news, my friends, because no one is too far from God's grace. God's grace is bountiful. God's grace is abundant. God's grace is copious. It is deep. It is tall. It is wide. And no one, no one, no one is too far from God's grace. Not them, not you, not us. No one is too far from God's grace. We are all sons and daughters of God, a God with this bountiful bountiful grace, a God who is at work, a God who has been at work poking and prodding and transforming all of us. You see, no one is too far from this incredible gift. All it takes is an encounter with Jesus, and anyone's life can change. I'd like to invite the praise team to come up and surround me right now behind me. And uh, if you could put the next song on uh, the PowerPoint. You know, there's a lot of collaboration in the office uh, here at Schoolman, and uh, we talk, help each other out, and, and Jarrett was asking me earlier this week about what the sermon was about. And I told him, and I go to my office, and next thing you know, I get this email and it says, special song for Sunday. And I clicked play, and I listened to the words, and I let it soak in. And I said, wow, this is perfect. O cleanser of this mess I've made, upon the hill our place is trade. Stretched on a cross, your body crushed by human hands you formed from dust. How wonderful your mercy is. How awesome are your ways. I come, I come to worship you for all you've done. And sometimes we go, uh, during this time of singing, we just kind of just sing the words and not really think about what we're, we're talking about or singing. But this time, I'd just like to invite you to really mean what you sing, 
with all of your heart and let the song move you and shape you and transform you. I don't know where you are in your journey today. I don't know if you're in a valley at a place of brokenness and humility. I don't know if you are like Saul and are in need of being saved from self-righteousness, from pride and from arrogance. I don't know where you are, but I do know this. No one is too far from God's grace. Like I said before, God is at work. God is with us. God is for us. Let's sing together.